electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, Ty. Thanks so much. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. This Make or Break Hour begins with Tech's Big Test. Part one today when high-flying Palo Alto reports earnings in just about one hour's time. Part two tomorrow when none other than NVIDIA delivers. That stock, which is lower today, so emblematic of the run in mega caps and the hype around AI. So we will ask our experts over this final stretch what is really riding on those results. In the meantime, take a look at your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation. Market's been weaker for most of the day today. Russell, it is the big laggard, and that follows two straight weeks of gains for the small caps. NASDAQ down sharply, declines from not only NVIDIA, but Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, and Apple. Interest rates are hovering near their highest level since November, and that's probably weighing on things a bit, too, which takes us to our talk of the tape. The state of stocks, with bulls and bears both feeling better about their arguments lately. We've got one of each with us today to debate the road ahead for your money. Greg Branch of Veritas Financial Group, John Mowry of NFJ Investment Group. Greg, a CNBC contributor. It's great to have you both with us. We revisit this from time to time, and now's a good time to do that. And Greg, I'll turn to you first. You're sitting here. It's nice to have you back at Post good 9. Here, Scott. Your story has remained very much the same. In fact, from your notes, it appears, it appears as though you're almost emboldened again as a bear? Well, I'd like to say I'm more convinced. Uh, and, and in fact, Scott, I, I, I don't think the question at this point is, what is the bear argument? I think the question at this point is, what is the bull argument? Uh, at this point, everything that that rally, everything that fueled the rally has reversed decidedly, whether it's a jobs number of 180,000, now we're at 300,000, whether it was core CPI only growing at 20 bips, which put us in line for a 2% sustainable inflation. Well, we saw that 20 bips go to 30 bips. And now we saw that 30 bips grow to 40 bips. And so I think that the question becomes, if everything has reversed, including the expectation for a March rate cut, including the expectation that there'll be six cuts and no, there'll only be three cuts, mm -hmm. then the question remains, why are we so enthusiastic? Why, why are we uh, tolerant of a market trading at 22 times? Okay. Uh, everything having reversed sounds a little bit uh, over the top to okay. me. Um, January is an anomaly in a, in a lot of ways for, for not only the jobs number, but inflation numbers. Mm -hmm. So what if March is apparently off the table? We know that cuts are coming mm -hmm. at some point this year, and that trend is going to be your friend. Mm -hmm. The Fed is, has said it itself that it really doesn't see any more hikes coming. You can call that into question, but I find it I find it hard to get on board with the everything has reversed that got us here in the first place argument, because I could almost say that it's really the opposite, that nothing has really changed. Let, let me address some of that. And so I, if I was choosing one month of jobs data, I would concede the point. But the reality is we've had two months of 330,000s, and a number with a one in front of it, when you look at the last seven months, is the anomaly, right? The, the, the trend is 200 or 300,000, which we know is not a neutral number. A neutral number is about 100,000. Uh, when we talk about um, earnings, that has actually been a surprise. Uh, I did not think that the quarter would come in this strong in terms of 7.3%. 7.3% so. is the actual earnings growth year on year for Q4. 
That's a lot higher than you thought. That's Let's be honest. That's, that's, a lot three, that's like more than three times what you a thought. A lot higher and a lot higher than what consensus thought. And I think what remains to be seen, and this is the lesson I think we learned with focusing on a 20 bips uh, core CPI number or focusing on a job growth number, is mm-hmm. we have to see if this is the trend. Because I do think it matters whether it's three or it's six cuts. And I do think it matters when those cuts come, because that has a direct impact on what companies are going to earn this year. And so if those cuts aren't coming to the back half of this year, and if they're coming at all, and you know, Scott, I'm probably in the latter camp, then earnings are going to look a lot different than they look right now. And I don't think there's any way to 12 percent growth for this year. But see, consensus has been wrong in, in many respects to this point. Nobody thought the economy would remain this strong. Um, it has. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if people necessarily thought inflation was going to come down as fast as it has. Mm -hmm. It has. Mm -hmm. And the data supports that. I don't know of many people who thought earnings growth was going to be this robust for the the fourth quarters we just said. It has. I mean, I I went back and looked at some of the things we talked about over the last year or so on this program when you've been on. And you've remained pretty bearish for the entire time. Bearish, cautious. I think that's fair to say. You agree, right? Almost exactly a year ago, February of 2023, quote, we'll get everything cheaper in a few months. You said the Fed was likely to go to 6%. NVIDIA was $200 then. Right. I'm not that excited about buying growth here. Right. Ten months ago, S&P 4,100. Mm-hmm. Market, in your words, quote, is discounting the future incorrectly. Mm-hmm. We're now at 5,000. Right. At what right. point do you say, you know what? I was wrong. I think I've said that to you a number of times. But why Scott. do you? But you're still like is you're that, still is that swimming against the tide, though. Is, and both things you're still can, trying to swim against the tide. And both things can be true. I can admit that it didn't play out exactly like I expected in 2023, and I think I've explained exactly why. It I know, didn't but it play didn't out. play out anything like what I, you expected. And that's fair. And I think I've admitted that. Don't say that I haven't said I've been wrong. I've said that repeatedly. Yeah, but you still come on and you and you and you say. And I still believe that this is probably the, the market's discounting the future incorrectly. Um, and it's tied directly to the reasons why I said I've been wrong. And so, yes, in, in the beginning of this year, I was cautious and I got more cautious as the market started to run in the back half of this year, particularly because I didn't see I don't see the same trends as apparently this market is discounting. And so we can say that it doesn't matter if it's three cuts or six cuts, but I think it matters to a great degree, particularly if you're like me. And I think that the next move is a hike. And I'm, I used to be alone in that view. And I think you're increasingly seeing others come to the table and talk about either there won't be cuts this year or their hike. Whether I it's mean, Larry maybe Summers, other like Larry Summers. OK, Deutsche Bank or yeah, I think there's another Deutsche Bank is still looking for cuts. They're just not looking for them to be as aggressive. Let's see. We'll see where the discussion goes. We'll see where the discussion goes. You know, the 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 end game is not today. Right. The end game will be just as it has been, okay, we've moved off the March. Are we going to move off of May? And then where, where are we going to agree? And where is the Fed going to agree? But I think from this discussion, we can agree that if I'm right and there's a hike coming before a cut, that would be a meaningful negative catalyst. Oh, I, very I don't think there's any question about the, okay. the fact that whether, if the Fed hikes, and if it hikes anymore, it, right. the market's not going to like it. Fair. There, there's no question about that. But Fair. let's talk probabilities of things Fair. like that happening. I'd sure. say that's pretty darn low. Sure. Um, and I would disagree with you. I, I don't see a scenario where we get a, a hike, sorry, a cut in the first half of this year. So what? I can paint a scenario where we can get a hike. How? If you don't, if these trends continue as they are, let's say we get a CPI growth of 50 basis points next month. 
let's say jobs numbers remain at 300,000. Let's say that wage growth remains at 60 basis points. Let's say that unemployment remains at 3.7%. You don't think that the Fed will be compelled or feel compelled to act? I think the Fed is has a little bit of a conundrum in that the stronger that growth remains, inflation re- might remain, might remain a little stickier. But again, the trend of inflation is not going in your direction. It is going lower by the key metrics. It depends on where your starting point is, Scott. We've had acceleration in month-over-month growth for three months in a row now. Have we, had it, in the, have we had it in the employment cost index? Have we had it in the, you know, PCE we for three months in a row? Have we had it in the things that matter more than anything else to the Fed? And this is, this is the underlying point. We have to see what the trend is, because I don't think that the trend is disinflation from here with what they've done so far. And I think you're starting to hear them say that they don't think the trend is disinflation from here from what they've done so far. And we'll have to wait and see. But I'm seeing a different trend than you are. I'm just going with the data. <laughs> we both are, my friend. The data doesn't lie. We both are, my friend. All right, let's bring in John Mary. I, I wanted to have a little bit of back and forth with you before I, I, I opened it up. Um, and I do, I respect your opinion. It's just, I guess my point of view, John, and I would say this to a bull in the market if, if they haven't uh, gotten it gotten it right. But still make the case that, oh, you know, my view is, is right, is going to be right. You can't say it's going to snow every single day and then it's sunny outside. And then the one day it finally snows, you can't raise your hand and say, I was right. I called it. I would, I would say that to anybody on both sides on this program. You heard what Greg says. Do you have a counter argument? Well, totally agree and enjoyed uh, listening to you both. Uh, I guess I have a few thoughts. Um, you know, the argument in October of 22 was don't own particularly large cap growth because those companies should trade at much lower multiples because of much higher interest rates. And this was a bit of a theoretical argument. It turned out to not be true because large tech names actually were able to fund themselves without having to tap the debt market. So the higher interest rates actually have impacted the smaller cap companies, financials, utilities, staples, REITs. And what is very ironic is all those areas got expensive, particularly defense, as people were expecting a recession in 2023 that did not occur. So why am I saying this, Scott? The reason I'm saying this is because I like to let valuations shape investor expectations. You were getting very discounted valuations in large tech a year and a half ago. Today, the deeply discounted areas are in utilities, REITs, staples, financials. You've heard me say this on this program. The reason I was so bullish a year and a half ago is because I thought that the narrative of higher rates was overshadowing the valuations and the strong fundamentals underneath. Today, there's plenty of opportunities, Scott, that are very attractive, but I don't think they're in some of the areas that investors have been in. I know NVIDIA and other areas are definitely capturing in people's um, uh, hearts and minds right now. But the reality is, I think the areas that investors should be focused on are down the cap scale. You've got some of the biggest dislocations there in over a decade, Scott, and investors are not focused on where those areas are, in my opinion. For, For a reason, though. I mean, the, the big tech stocks that have run a lot after getting clobbered in 2022 obviously had the benefit of AI. That's the big catalyst that has us where we are today in many respects. Why we even have a MAG7. The ones that have capitalized in large respects, not every one of the seven, but most obviously, have capitalized on the trend of AI. What's the catalyst other than a discounted valuation for any of those other groups that you suggest should go higher? 
Well, I, I push back a little bit on that. I don't, I don't remember AI being talked about in December of 2022, January of 2023. That, that trend became later. In fact, if you do Google Trends and type in AI, that'll give you a feel for when, for when that kind of started to take off. So it was, it was well past the bottom, uh, I would argue. But I think the catalyst, Scott, is, is, is very simple. If you look at the spread between the two-year bond yield and the Fed funds rate, it is very wide. The Fed funds rate is too high relative to your bond yield. In fact, Scott, over the last year and a half, the two-year bond yield's been flat. It's gone nowhere. And it's been telling the Fed they need to cut. And if you reduce rates by what the market is saying, which is roughly 100 basis points, that's going to absolutely benefit those areas that have higher yield, that are trading at steeply discounted valuations. And let's take uh, the other side of the argument. Let's say things do slow faster than you know, expected. The UK has gone into a recession. Japan went into a recession. Not, not a lot of folks thought that. Inflation is still above trend in both of those countries. So there could be a reason that the U.S. economy does sputter. And if they lower rates for other reasons than just, hey, it's time to lower rates because we've had them this high for long enough and we're comfortable, that could create another bid for areas that have yield relative to the other asset classes. I mean, I think we can trace the 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 AI mania, if you want to call it that, from the Microsoft investment in OpenAI. W- would you agree with that? Because that that was that was in January of last year. We wouldn't yes. be here today, in many respects, without that. That lit a fire well, under the AI trade. So that was the catalyst, and it was that far back. And other than hopes for rate cuts and hopes that the economy is going to remain as strong as it has, I'm not sure of a defined catalyst that would make me want to invest. By the way, when when interest rates are sticky up at these levels, do you really want to buy utilities? Yes, you want to buy utilities. I mean, look at Nextera. Nextera is trading at the steepest discount in a decade. It's growing at double digits rate. It's the leader in renewable energy. It's got a dividend yield of over 3%. It's growing at 10% a year. That's a great way to ward off inflation. You're getting it at a steeply discounted multiple. So you absolutely want to be looking at some of the slower and boring areas. And I totally agree with your comment, Scott, about uh, Microsoft and AI. However, it's not just that. I mean, home builders have ripped. There's been plenty of other areas, industrials, Parker Hannafin, Packard, Eaton. There's been plenty of other cyclicals that have ripped higher that is not just on the AI I, I, trend. I understand and I think- that, but that, that not to carry the S&P uh, where, where it got to last year. That, that's my point. We're yes, talking about that is market, true. We're talking about market-weighted stocks that carried the S&P, that carried the NASDAQ. With all due respect, the home builders, I mean, really? I know they had well, a great year, okay. but, That's but come on. Fair. That's fair, Scott. But I would also say that that was the area that was down the most. NVIDIA was down nearly 70%. Meta was down over 50 So those stocks also had gotten the cheapest and were the most deeply discounted going into a better economic environment for those companies. And AI definitely played a role. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to I'm not going to push back that AI did not play a big role in that in that recovery, the, Scott. The, the question now, though, Greg, is 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 now what? Um, what areas of the market do you want to be in? Um, I know you don't want to be out of the market. You like you like mega cap tech. Well, you um, did. Now, I don't know if you still do, but me, you did. Let, you yeah, didn't, let, then you did. Let me let me rephrase that. What what I like is is buying things that are te- tethered to the secular tailwinds of cloud and AI. Uh, I don't necessarily like it fundamentally, 
I don't necessarily like it on a multiple basis, but the fact is, is that those companies are going to grow earnings 20% plus this year. Everything else, I project to grow low single digits at best. And so in an environment where I don't think we're fundamentally driven, I want to buy the superior earnings growers. Mm -hmm. And the, the statement that I agree with, and I know you push back on this saying that they're down for a reason, but I think what we saw over the last two weeks is that AI is starting to impact other first movers, like a Palantir, like a SalesNow. Uh, and so I, I don't think that we have to only own the mega, mega caps when it comes to being invested in whatever the AI tailwind is going to be. Oh, no, you don't. But I, 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 would, I was going to ask the question as we look ahead to NVIDIA mm -hmm. tomorrow, whether the, the service nows, I know that's what you meant, yeah, yeah, the sorry. Palantirs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go down a list of, of 15 names that have gotten the benefit of this AI mania trade, right. have in some respects ridden the coattails in terms of narrative and sentiment of NVIDIA right. and have gone up a tremendous amount since the rally really started and went into overdrive at the beginning of November. Right. You think that you, you say you don't have to own the MAG-7, you can own those. Don't you think those are more at risk in some respects than the MAG-7 if NVIDIA doesn't deliver tomorrow? Uh, to some extent. Here's, here's what will disconnect them from NVIDIA's results. They are actually showing the impact themselves earlier than I thought that they would. But when you look at those companies we just talked about and we looked at their results, their booking, their booking pipeline doubled. They were having quadruple and quintuple the number of pilots that they were having in 2022. They upped their guidance beat on every key metric. And as long as you're going to continue to have a first mover advantage, and it will be short lots, but as long as they're going to continue to have a first mover advantage and we're going to see that in their numbers, that is something you can buy. John Mowry, what's riding on tomorrow after, uh, after the bell and overtime with NVIDIA? Well, I'll tell you the options market says we're going to get a 6 or 7% move one way or the other. Uh, there's definitely a lot of sentiment riding on NVIDIA. There's no question. But I would argue that if you look at the one-year earnings growth on NVIDIA, uh, it's up 400%. That's pretty substantial. And if you take the Peter Lynch argument that earnings and prices should uh, correlate over time, I think it's going to be tough for NVIDIA to keep that growth rate up. So even though a great company, big piece of the S&P, uh, I think there are more interesting places to be looking than just chasing what's been working over the last uh, you know six months to a year. The other, I, I guess, debate that Greg and I were having is about it, the course of interest rates when and, and how aggressive they might be. How reliant do you think the market is on the prospect of getting several, not just one, but several rate cuts this year? I think the expectation is absolutely we're going to get several. Um, and again, I think that 100 basis points would be what the two-year bond yield is implying. I think the timing of that is a little bit less important. I think it's important for short-term traders. And Scott, you know I've held this view um, that really it's not about the exact date they caught, it's that that's the direction they're going. And again, I've been saying this for a while, inflation, when you net out shelter, is down to 1.6%. Shelter is very lagged. Um, you know, single-family housing is the biggest piece of that. Rents are secondary. And I think when you net that out, which I think is appropriate, you get to a much lower level. So I think the direction is absolutely down. Um, I would be very surprised to see a rate increase. That seems a little bit out of the cards, but I respect the different points of view, no doubt. I think that uh, we should be expecting several cuts as we move into the back half of the year. Okay. Let me ask you about targets for stocks, because we get Goldman today to 5,200 from 51. UBS goes to 54. 
um, the comments that I brought up earlier that you made in, in February of 23, where you said get everything cheaper, you were also looking to go back and retest and break through those prior October retest, lows, for sure. right? Uh, now here we are. Uh, what are you looking for in terms of performance from the stock market based on your view? Because now we've lapped those October lows and we started another leg higher in this bull market. Right. In, on November 1st, let's just call it that. Mm -hmm. So now what? I'm going to have to evaluate what my price target is. And the reason I'm going to have to evaluate it is even though I do see a correction, because technology is becoming such a bigger part of the indices, and as you know, I just said, they're going to grow 20% plus, many of these companies. I don't know if it will go as low as I had previously projected. And so while it might not be 3,800, I do see a meaningful correction because I do believe that we will get less than three cuts this year. I think we can all agree that the market is not expecting that. Uh, and I do believe that the next move is a hike. And so I think those will be meaningful downward catalysts. And I do expect a correction on the order of 20%. Okay. We will, I hope, keep having these conversations. We certainly will. Greg Branch, thank you very much. Uh, John Marriott, thank you as well. We'll talk to both of you soon, I'm sure of that. Let's send it to Pippa Stevens now for a look at the biggest names moving in the close, into the close. Pippa? Hey, Scott. Well, two financials in focus after a major acquisition with Capital One set to buy Discover Financial Services in a $35.3 billion all-stock deal. The news, first reported by the Wall Street Journal, sees the merging of two of the largest credit card issuers in the U.S. and would expand Capital One's card offerings and its deposit base. And another financial institution on the move is Barclays, up over 10 percent today. The bank announced a major operational restructuring, including cost-cutting efforts. Investors also reacting positively to the bank's one billion pound share buyback plan. Scott. All right, Pippa, thank you. Uh, we're getting some news now on a lawsuit involving ESPN, Warner Brothers Discovery and Fox Sports. Let's get to Julia Borston, who has the latest there. Julia. Scott, we've obtained a copy of the lawsuit that Fubo TV has filed against the three companies that are partnering on a streaming sports joint venture. Fubo TV um, suing the Walt Disney Company, ESPN, Hulu, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery, alleging that these companies would not let Fubo carry a small bundle of sports-focused channels that they will now be including in this new service. This was filed um, today in the Southern District of New York, and they're looking to block the joint venture from launching and are also asking for a jury trial and punitive damages. Now, remember, we don't have a name for this streaming skinny sports bundle yet, and we do not have a launch date or a price tag. But Fubo TV is alleging that these companies, these media giants, are treating them as a smaller player in the space unfairly. Um, so we're going to continue to dig into this, and we'll get back to you for yeah. more. With All more. right, getting interesting, to say the least. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, we're just getting started here. Up next, raising stakes, rising stakes for stocks. Goldman Sachs' Tony Pascarello is back, sizing up the risk-reward of the rally, breaking down where he sees the most opportunities within this market. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. Stocks are lower to start the week. NASDAQ down more than 1% in the last hour of trade. NVIDIA leading the broader tech decline ahead of earnings tomorrow. And my next guest says the chip maker is, quote, as important as any stock on the planet right now. He is Goldman Sachs' Tony Pascarello. He's the head of hedge fund client coverage. Welcome back. Thanks, Scott. Uh, That's what I hear, that it all comes down to what NVIDIA does tomorrow. Is that right? I think in a local context, it it carries a ton of weight. It's the number three stock in the index. Um, Immense market cap appreciation. So this was when the market bottomed in October 22. It was a $280 billion market cap. We had our local low in October 23, a trillion. Today, a trillion seven. And it's the flag bearer for the most exciting new theme in the marketplace. So I think in a very short-term context, it carries a lot of weight, yes. Okay. So let's, just for argument's sake and for the sake of the conversation, what happens if it doesn't live up to immense expectations tomorrow? What does it mean for the market? I think it certainly takes some shine off, of course, its own story and probably some of the mega cap st- uh, story in, in general. Um, by the way, I find it interesting. The implied move from the options market is 11 percent. That'd be a $200 billion market cap swing. That's a big company unto itself. That's incredible. And so and again, it's really carried that narrative. Now, it's not the only story in the marketplace. And so so I looked at this before we came on. If you look at the Magnificent Seven <laughs> yeah. and you look at Q4 earnings, if we're just right on our NVIDIA estimates, Sales growth for the Magnificent Seven is up 15% year-on-year. For the 493, 3%. Margin growth, Mag7, 582 basis points. The 493 contracted 56 basis points. So five times the revenue growth, more than five-fold the margin expansion. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a broader story that's told across tech, but there's no doubt in the very short term a lot hinges against sentiment-wise on NVIDIA itself. Well, and let's take the other side of it. If they wow us... Yet again, it just justifies in part for the fundamental reasons you just stated of why people continue to buy these stocks, even at what some perceive to be elevated valuations. You just made the case that those valuations, however elevated they may be, are justified. I'll give you one more data point in this context. You and I have spoken a lot over the past year or so. The biggest and best balance sheets on the planet generated immense free cash flow, returning a lot of that to shareholders. That's how Apple gets to a $20 billion yeah. buyback in Q4 alone. There's another part of the story which probably doesn't get as much attention, which is they reinvest in the form of CapEx and R&D on a level that no one else can touch. So again, the Magnificent Seven reinvests 60% of their operating cash flow. The rest of the index, the 493, is, is, is like a third of that. And so think about the compounding power of that over time when one needs to compete with them. So h- how do you answer questions then? I said you're head of you know, hedge fund client coverage. You talk to the biggest and best investors on the planet. When they say, well, Tony, I mean, don't you think the broadening is, is going to happen? Should we rotate to these other unloved areas of the market? How do you answer the question? 
So I think if the question is, should I consider rotating to other parts of the market that carry a lot of market cap, like healthcare, like consumer discretionary, maybe like financials. I don't have a problem with that because I, I think each one of those big sectors. Yeah, you just couched it with the the market cap side of it too. Well, because I look at the S&P through the prism of the anatomy, which is where is there enough market cap that you could hand the baton off? Okay, and those are the three other big sectors. Okay. It's healthcare, it's consumer discretionary, and it's financials. And again, I can make a case for each one of those. It's less interesting to me to say, I'm going to cash in my chips on the Magnificent Seven, I'm going to pay the tax man, and then I'm going to buy Russell 2000, where one in three companies will be unprofitable this year. That's a tough putt for me. So, the, you know, what, small caps are up two weeks in a row. You just don't buy the hype that that's sustainable. Well, so if Goldman Sachs is correct, because we actually, as a house, we have a fairly positive view on small caps. Mm-hmm. If we are right that U.S. GDP growth this year is called 2.8%, okay. and if we're right that the Fed cuts five times, is that a favorable climate for small cap? It, it is. Do I really think point to point it's going to outperform the best companies on the planet? I don't. Now, I just had a debate with a bear who's emboldened, I guess you, you could say, who says there's no way they're, they're cutting five times. How reliant is this market on those cuts? Well, S&P is 200 handles higher today than it was in the middle of January when the rate market basically had seven cuts in the price. Today it has four cuts in the price. And so point to point, we've worked off a little bit of probably what was an overshot in terms of expectations. Mm -hmm. Again, our house view is five. The Fed wrote down three in December. They've mostly stuck to three in December. It's a question of, like, if you take more out of the strip, why has that happened? Is it happening because growth just ran a little bit stronger than expected and they delayed a little bit? I think the stock market's fine. If the disinflation narrative is further dented as it was last week, that might be tougher for the bet. But that's not our view. Our, there, our view is they're going to cut in May mm-hmm. because core PC will be 2.5% by that meeting. They cut because they can, not because they have to. What's more important at this point, getting cuts or the economy remaining as strong as it is now? Because that raises potentially other issues, too, with sticky inflation and the Fed perhaps waiting too long to to cut for the first time. Well, I think what we saw last year, the lesson of 2023, is the durability of the economy, in essence, supersedes every other factor, right? Because the Fed, I think, blasted away another 100 basis points last year, and the market did just fine. So if I had to pick one thing to bet on, I would take slightly stronger, but still broadly disinflationary growth over excess rate cuts for the sake of cutting rates. Let's say if rates, lastly, if rates remain higher for longer, they just don't have any more hikes in, in the cards. Is that okay? Let's say the 10-year stays at 425 for a while. Is that okay? Well, I, I, I think we should say, as we sit here today at 20 and a half times with relatively full positioning, relatively high sentiment, I, do th- I don't think tactical risk reward is overly alluring. I think the big dynamics of the game are still favorable. I think in the short term, if the market's going to ask that question, it probably needs to do a little bit of work around these levels. I appreciate it as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Scott. Tony Pascarello, Goldman Sachs, back here at Post 9. Coming up, the case for caution. New York Life Investments' Lauren Goodwin waving the warning flag on the market. She has been for months. Now she has four headwinds, she says, could kickstart a greater correction. She'll explain after the break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And 
producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back. Stocks falling, pulling the S&P 500 further from the record close it set last week. Our next guest sees four headwinds that could decisively break the rally and lead to a bigger downturn. Joining me here, Post 9, to explain is New York Life Investments economist and portfolio strategist Lauren Goodwin. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, I already had one big debate with a longtime bear in this market. You've been cautious for a while, too, and you're not ready to change your tune either. Why? Importantly, I'm very cautious on the economy this year. I'm less cautious, at least tactically, on the market. I expect that this market is going to continue to trudge further along until we hit one of a couple things that could break it, most of it having to do with economic data breaking decisively to the downside. Okay. Why would I believe that it's going to do that? You say a soft landing is looking even less likely. How so? I expect that a soft landing in this cycle and in others is just a moment in time that we as investors should always leverage on the path to something else. And because the Fed has been restrictive for long enough, and I do expect that that restriction is taking its toll on the economy, we're seeing it in the data. That's what I saw last week. I saw an inflationary environment that's going to make it hard to cut rates as quickly as the market was hoping. And I see a consumer and a retail environment that's early, early stages, but just starting to see some softness. That's an environment I expect to continue to slow. See, there were a lot of calls, you know, I said at the very top of the show, you know, kind of bulls and bears both seemingly emboldened with each of their cases. And the bears would say, look, see, CPI, PPI, inflation is going to be a lot stickier than you bulls think it's going to be. But then you had people come out and suggest, I mean, either current or former Fed officials say, yeah, you're overreading and overreacting to one month's number in which was anomaly an anomaly anyway, because January yeah. is funky. And there, both of those views are right, by the way. Mixed economic data is a classic late cycle environment. And I think what's happening in the market is that investors are getting whipsawed, whipsawed by their own expectations. This is an environment, if we take a year's approach, that where inflation has been moving lower, economic growth has been moving lower, especially lately. And when I look at the way that the economic cycle tends to evolve, that's an environment where I do expect the longer rates are where they are, that the credit environment for households and businesses continues to be challenging. Now, we're not there yet. There's nothing breaking. That's why I expect investors should stay fully invested. But we have to start being a little more attuned to how we're getting whipsawed and and try to see the through line. What if you say, you know, I know that the Fed made mistakes and how late they were to the hiking game. And now they don't want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. So they're going to be more cognizant of the risks that you cite. They don't want a credit event to happen where they have to be reactive. They're going to be proactive in cutting rates. It may be a little later than the calendar schedule of what we thought, but they're still going to do it because they know and they're confident in the fact that inflation is going back to target. That makes sense. I think it makes sense. I also think it's the right call. Well, then then why be negative? 
if anything, I think the Fed's still going to be too late. This is an environment where inflation, sticky inflation, has made it really hard for the, head to, for the Fed to be as proactive as would navigate a soft landing without juicing inflation further. And that's why, at the end of the day, soft landings are, are really just a, a Goldilocks moment in time on the way to something else. It is very, very difficult to sustain growth and also avoid wages continuing to stay sticky, inflation continuing to stay sticky for very long. Okay. So the actionable investment advice based on your idea of where this market goes is what? I expect that the Fed is still liable to start cutting. My best guess is June. That's an environment where I think it makes sense to be moving into short duration credit out of cash. You and I have talked about that quite a bit. Yep. It's also an environment where quality continues to be important. And so while valuations in tech are high, I think we should look at some of the long-term themes like infrastructure, like AI, and, and start to broaden that exposure in order to diversify a bit from the themes we know are working. You say broader, broaden the exposure and, and like to more growth AI-related plays? What do you mean? Yeah, looking to the small and mid-cap growth uh, areas where we see profitability and more the application layer of yeah. artificial intelligence. Also digital infrastructure, some of the areas that we think might be resilient if we do expect equity markets to experience volatility as growth slows. See, this is what I find like troubling to sort of make ends meet. It's a cautious view overall on the market, even in some respects. But acknowledging that, well, the growth trade can work. It still works because of the secular trends of, of AI. If those stocks continue to go up, I find it hard to believe that the market's going to have a problem. Profitability is really what it's about, as opposed to growth or tech necessarily. That's just that. where we happen they to have see that, though, right? profitability, exactly. What that broader idea is about is acknowledging that six companies is where we are seeing all of the growth and profitability, and that's what's been working, well, not but all. it's not a particularly not diversified yeah. play, right? Like you could see, and there's been a lot of talk about it today already, mm -hmm. if you see one miss in expectations, that's what burst the bubble in the aughts. That's what burst, it, it, it was one company suggesting that gr they might see sales growth of more like 50% instead of 60% that popped that bubble. And that's the type of risk I think investors need to be mindful of when they're looking for profitability to look further. We're talking a lot about this heading into NVIDIA tomorrow in overtime. Lauren Goodwin, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you soon. Up next, we're tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close. Pippa Stevens is standing by with that. Pippa? Hey, it's got another energy deal could be in the works, sending one stock higher. We've got the details coming up next. All right, well, less than 15 from the closing bell. Pippa Stevens now looking at the key stocks she's watching. Pippa. Hey, Scott. Caterpillar shares in the red after Eversource ISI downgraded the industrial giant from outperform to in line. The firm did raise its price target, but said the stock's 26% jump in the last three months leaves modest upside ahead. And Western Midstream halted just now after earlier jumping as Occidental reportedly looks to sell the pipeline operator, according to Reuters. The deal is worth close to $20 billion, including debt, according to people familiar with the matter. Now, neither company has responded to request for comment. Scott? All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens still ahead. Palo Alto Network surging nearly 40 percent over the past three months. And that leads up to the company's results in overtime tonight. We will break down what to watch for when those numbers hit the tape. Closing bells coming right back.
Up next, your earnings rundown. Toll Brothers and Palo Alto Networks among the big names set to report at the top of the hour. We'll tell you what to watch for when those numbers hit the tape and much more when we take you inside the market zone next. We're now in the closing bell market zone. We're watching two earnings releases out in overtime today. Kate Rogers monitoring Palo Alto and Diana Olick on what to expect from Toll Brothers. Bob Pisani breaks down the crucial final moments of the trading day as we head into the close. Kate Rogers, I'll go to you first because Palo Alto shares are up 40 percent or more than that in the past three months. There's a lot mm-hmm. of hype about this company. Now they have to live up to it. Certainly true, Scott. So when Palo Alto Networks reports Q2 results after the bell, we're going to see how the cybersecurity software company has fared amid a recent uptick in cyber attacks. Analysts will be looking for EPS of $1.30 adjusted on revenue of about $2 billion. Palo Alto has a strong track record of beating estimates and seeing shares rally. In fact, a CNBC Pro stock screen found that on average, the company beats EPS estimates 93% of the time and shares gain an average of nearly 2% as a result. The stock is already up 24% so far in 2024, up 116% in the past 12 months. Rather, Palo Alto CEO Nikesh Arora will speak with Jim Cramer about the company's quarter tonight on Mad Money. Back over to you. All right, Kate Rogers, we appreciate that. We look forward to Nikesh Arora with Jim as well. Diana Olick, what should we expect from Toll? Well, Toll is expected to report a Q1 year-over-year increase in revenue thanks to strong demand for newly built homes. 2023 was actually One of the worst years this century for sales of existing homes due to tight supply and rising mortgage rates, but the builders have benefited from that with more supply and their ability to buy down those mortgage rates. And that's why the stock has done so very well. Toll is the luxury builder, average selling price just over a million dollars. Its backlog had dropped in Q4, but it gave guidance slightly above expectation. So all eyes and ears are going to be on commentary about the effect of now rising mortgage rates. Rates had dropped in November and December after peaking in October. So that may boost earnings for this quarter. But rates are now back up again, and we'll want to see what effect that is having on demand right now. Scott. All right. Diane Olick, thank you very much for that. We'll see you in overtime when those earnings hit. Bob Pisani sitting next to me. All right. Big test first, Palo Alto. Got to pass that one. That stock's going up a lot. Cyber's a hot trend. It's It's it's, not all about NVIDIA. It's the hot trend right now. Cybersecurity for tech space right now for thematic technology. I watched the ETF business. The inflows in thematic tech, mostly cyber. You watch BUG, you get some of these cyber security ETFs all getting inflows now. They seem to believe that that and semiconductors are the two areas of tech that are getting inflows right now. NVIDIA's, I I wish we had a better day here, but it's really tech. Uh, NVIDIA's just getting killed here, down 4%. They're selling it right ahead of everything. Uh, Microsoft's down. Apple's a little weaker. Salesforce is having an unusual down day. That stock's been a monster recently. So they're just selling ahead of NVIDIA, which has now become the the tech bellwether. Yeah, I was just kidding when I said it's not all about NVIDIA. In fact, it really is. A lot of people think, including, you know, Tony Pascarello sitting here, that what NVIDIA NVIDIA delivers tomorrow um, is going to be a seminal moment, at least for the near term, on where this market goes. What's remarkable about NVIDIA is it's not 
crazy overpriced. If you just look, if you look at the future earnings, the, the four forward quarters, it's about 31 times forward quarters, forward numbers. That is remarkable for a stock that was up, as you noted earlier today, over 200 percent in the last year. Valuations it's, come it's, down as the stock has gone up right. because of because the guidance the earnings, and the expectations. The earnings are so high. The earnings, this is a stock that has had crazy price action where the earnings actually have matched the price action. And I anticipate that's probably going to continue tomorrow. I'd, be a, I'd have a hard time imagining that there's going to be some immense disappointment from that company. You, I'm looking at, uh, let me steer you to the Russell uh, in the time we have too, because it's kissing 2000 again. Uh, you know, obviously rates going up, yeah. rates remaining high and sticky is not great for the Russell. Small caps have been up two straight weeks. That's right. Diana mentioned earlier uh, rates going up. The biggest problem for the stock market right now is dealing with this pop-up in rates that we've seen last week. We saw the PPI hotter. We saw the CPI hotter. That's a problem for the overall market. We see the estimates for the for Fed rate cuts it was six in January. Now we're now people have three at this point. And the market's holding up reasonably well, but that is bad news for small caps. And we see the impact right there on that after a brief little rally here. So if the question is how much do we need to lower the expectations for rate cuts? I'll tell you, it's interesting. Give me your take, too, on, um, you know, Walmart's obviously a standout today, and it has been from the outset. The Home Depot turnaround of being negative by a few percentage points pre-market, it may very well close into green today. That is not insignificant price action to keep an eye on. Right. The, the earnings were better than expected, but the revenue growth was not really as strong as expected. I'd say it was flat for the day. I, there was nothing wrong with Walmart or Home Depot. I just don't think there was anything that was particularly sticking out there. We'll go out red, but we have a lot to look forward to in overtime. You heard Diana with Cole and Kay Rogers, Palo Alto. Morgan and John will take it from here. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.